The enemy moves people, and usually the movement is into restriction and bondage. Because with the new wave of the virus, there will be a, a wave of fear that is released. And when the enemy releases fear, it is not freedom, it is restriction, and it is bondage. So they'll begin saying, you can't go here, you can't go there, you can't do this, you can't do that. All in the name of fear. And the enemy feels like if, if it has to do with your life and your safety, then you won't mind giving up your liberty and your freedom. But we don't live in fear, right? We live in Christ alone. So today's message is entitled Freedom. Last week we talked about step five. We're going through the 10 steps of personal revival using the life of Mephibosheth as an example. And last week was step five. Wow, what a beautiful time we had in the Lord. The altar was full of people surrendering uh, everything to God, surrendering their hurts and their pains and their hang-ups to God. The altar was full of that. And last week, uh, the, the message was about surrender and reverence to the reviver. We said last week that we must be sure to remember we can always come to Jesus exactly as we are. He is the reviver. He gives us beauty for ashes and redeems all that was lost. He gives us life for death and joy for mourning, but are you willing to surrender it all? So that was step five, surrendering it all. All right, God knows that you've been beat up and God knows that the enemy has brought bondage to you and addiction and uh, lust for this world and sin and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. God knows all of that and still wants you. Wow. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a bride and a groom at the altar and then she says to him, there's some things you don't know about me. I, I once was in prison and I once, you know, robbed a bank, and I once did this, and I once did that, and you're not my first, and I've been in love with other people. And the groom looks at her and says, I don't care. I still love you. The place would just melt. We'd be like, oh, that is so sweet. The king feels the same way about us. He says, I don't care what you've been through. I don't care about the sins you've committed. I don't care about the shame that you're under and the guilt that you're feeling. I still love you. And through that love brings us great freedom. So now we're in step six through the 10 step process of revival. And step six is freedom as brought to us by a new covenant of revival and restoration. Can you say this with me? A new covenant. Of revival, of revival and restoration. And restoration. Sometimes I wonder if you guys ever do that when you're out in public or at work or at home. Come on now, say this with me. <laughs> say this with me. I want French fries. Okay, let me stop. <laughs> All right. Step six is this. In order to be revived, we must break free from the words that brought us into bondage. We must faithfully receive a new authoritative word, a truth that forever breaks our shame and bondage. So last week we were surrendering ourselves just as we were, okay? We were surrendering our hang-ups, we were surrendering our sins, we were surrendering our hurts, uh, the thing that crippled us, the thing that hurt us, 
We talked about how we went through things that we were when we were young. Some of us have abandonment issues. Some of us were molested. Some of us were lied on. Some of us have been divorced, have been cheated, have been sued. All these pains, all these guilts that we carry around, we said, that's okay, we're going to drag them to the altar. You see, Mephibosheth was crippling both feet, but yet he still had to present himself to the king. So I don't know if he had crutches or if he had to be carried. I don't know how he got there, but he got there. So last week was just all about getting here. Didn't matter if he had to crawl. Didn't matter if he had to roll down to the altar. It didn't matter. Just say, here I am, Lord, with all my hurts, and I surrender myself to you. That is one of the steps of revival. Now we're to a new and exciting step in step six that talks about when we hear the new word. Remember, Mephibosheth lived in Lodabar. He lived in a place with no word. He lived in a place with no pasture. All that he was living on was the fear and the terror and also the, what's the word, Holy Spirit? He was living with the, with the uh, trauma. He was living with the trauma that happened to him at five years old. He was living with that trauma. But yet, when the king called for him, he presented himself even with all the mess that he was in. So, when did Mephibosheth bondage begin? Because if we're going to talk about freedom, we've also got to talk about bondage and what that looks like. So we're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. We're going to see where Mephibosheth's bondage begins. And it says this, Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when, can you say when? when? So we're talking about, we're trying to find out when his bondage began. And if the bondage comes from a word, then the, oh, whoo, this is good. I, I, I get it, but you don't get it. I feel like I can leave. I got it, Lord. But you don't get it. See, his bondage began with a word, so his freedom must also come with a word. Just shout like you got it. Just praise God like you got it. Because you're going to get it a little bit. His bondage came with a word, so his freedom must also come with a word. The, the chains came with a word. The, the injury came with a word. So then his healing and his restoration and his revival must also come by a word. So when did his bondage begin? 2 Samuel 4 and 4 says this. He was five years old when, when what? When the report came. So he was living at the palace. He was living in luxury. Everything was well with little Mephibosheth. And if, if history did not change itself, then we may have never even learned about him. If something bad did not happen, we would not have learned about him. Listen, something bad has happened to all of us because we were born in sin and in iniquity as well. So we've all got our hangups and our sins. Something bad happened to us way back when, but we know that there's a king that can fix anything. So when he was five years old, when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. So that's his father and his grandfather were murdered. And his bondage began then. His bondage began when the report came. So as soon as the report came, 
his bondage began. How do we know that? Because there's a second win in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. And the second win is what happens as a result of the word that came to him. Okay? It says this. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. So when that word came to his house, fear came to his house as well. And the one that was supposed to be caring for him, we'll see here in a moment, as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. Can you say when? when? There's always a beginning. And this is the beginning of his bondage. Some of our bondage began the first time when our uncle or our friend let us taste the beer. Our, our bondage can begin when that person, that teacher, mother, father, whoever it was, said something that crushed our little souls. Some of our bondages began when the doctor said that you could not have children or when your mother said that you will never get married. There's always a when to when the bondage began or when it happened. It's that entrance point of the enemy. When he desires to steal, to kill, and destroy, it's usually going to come by a word because he is a manipulator of words. He is a liar and the father of all lies. So the word is going to come or the bondage is going to come when a word is released. So that is exactly when Mephibosheth's bondage began. He was dropped at five years old when the child's nurse heard the news. She was doing a good thing, but she still dropped him. And many of us could be trying to live a good life or surrounded by those who cared for us and loved us, but they dropped us. And at the age of five, we see that he was dropped by a nurse and crippled in both feet. That was the beginning of his bondage. And he did not just grow out of it. Listen to me. You do not mature out of bondage. If something bad happens to you as a child, you don't mature out of that. The body gets bigger, but the hurt stays the same size. I'll say it again. Your body gets bigger when something happens to you, but the hurt stays the same size. So although Mephibosheth grew older than the age of five, and we believe he was 21 when David came, he was still crippled in both feet. Never ran again after the age of four. So he was living, I'm explaining to you his bondage. He was living in Lodabar, a place with no word or no pasture. There was no hope there. I'm sure that he dreamt of the time where he could be restored, but his parents had been murdered. What else did his bondage look like? He and his son, or maybe his family, were living with someone else. So this means that Mephibosheth, while living in a place of no word, he didn't have a home or property of his own. He was living with someone. And I don't know if he had a wife or not, but the Bible tells us that he did have a son. So that means that he and his son, potentially a wife and family, were living with someone else in Lodabar in somebody else's house. We see that he was also still living in fear. And we know this because when he presented himself to the king, the king told him, do not be afraid. And finally, we know that Mephibosheth was still in bondage because he had a low self-worth. And the name Mephibosheth means mouth of shame. Mouth of shame. 
And how do we know that Mephibosheth had a mouth of shame? It's because when he presented himself to the king and the king said, I desire to show you kindness. And he said, why would you show kindness to such a dead dog as me? Doesn't that sound very shameful? All right, he was in a position of shame. He was in a position of bondage. But then came a new covenant. A new covenant. King David brings freedom to Mephibosheth. So when then did Mephibosheth's bondage end? Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 6 through 12. We want to learn when Mephibosheth's bondage ended. And remember, the only reason we're studying Mephibosheth is because all of us have a little Mephibosheth in us. All of us have been crippled by something. All of us have been at a point, and some of you still are, where you're living below the spiritual uh, maturity and spiritual means that God desires for you to live at. He wants you to live in a higher place than you are right now. But you have low self-esteem, low self-worth, and low self-esteem comes from one place, the devil. He allows these thoughts to enter into your head that devalue you that pull you down, that rock. he steals, he kills, and he destroys. And that's exactly what happens to us when we allow the situations that we're living in to dictate to us our value, to say that I will always be like this or I will always live here. No, you won't because there is a new covenant. So when then did Mephibosheth bondage end? We're in 2 Samuel 9, 6 through 12, and we're looking for the when. We're looking for the word when, because his bondage began when a when came. And now his bondage is going to leave when another when, and I'm not saying W-I-N, although it is a W-I-N, I'm saying W-H-E-N. I'm talking about a time. Can you say a time? time. Praise God for appointed times. Praise God that even though, just like the Lewis is sitting up here, even though the doctor said you cannot have babies, now they have three babies, soon to be seven. <laughs> Evan is like, are you prophesying or are you just... All right. The doctor, they were in the office, and a win happened. When they told me I could not have children, what did you do? The Lewis's did not receive that word. They, desired, they decided to believe something else. So now we're going to see Mephibosheth's bondage end with a win. We're in 2 Samuel 9, 6 through 12. The first word is what? The first word in chapter 6, I'm sorry, verse 6 is what? Yeah. Now. Say it again. Now. We're talking about times, right? Man, this is good. We're talking about an appointed time. Now, Mephibosheth at five years old was just running and playing, all right? Playing with his toys. I don't know what kind of toys they had, rocks or whatever, all right? And finally, he has the best rocks in the kingdom to play with. He's rich and playing around. And then a win happened. When the nurse got news that the, that the grandfather and father had been murdered, she grabbed the child and ran and dropped him, and his bondage began then. But there's a new win. Can you say new win? This is an awesome point of revival. 
when a new wind happens, a new appointed time, when the bondage is broken, because bondages were meant to be broken, chains were meant to be broken, locks were meant to be unlocked. The darkness was meant to break away for the light. So where you are now is not where you have to remain because there is a now, and what's that second word after now? When. The new when. Praise God. Listen, so listen to this. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. Remember, the bad news came because his grandfather and father were murdered. But what he didn't know is that there was an active covenant that David had with Jonathan. He knew nothing about that covenant. And I'm trying to tell you that you guys are children of covenant and children of promise. And some of you just don't know what the promises of God are, and that's why you're still in Lodabar. When you don't have information about God's promises, you're in a place with no word. But you need a now when. Say this with me. Lord, Lord I, thank I thank you for the appointed, for the appointed now, now and when. See, some of you already had your now and when. But there's multiple now and whens. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's multiple times when the goodness of God shows up at your doorstep. There's multiple times when the goodness of God breaks your bondage and heals your body and frees you from the works of the enemy. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. That's what many of you did at the altar last week. You surrendered your pain. You surrendered your hurt. You fell to your face. You said, God, here I am. Can you say then? Yeah. Ooh, praise God. Then. So we got nows, we've got wins, and now we've got a then. Then David said, when the king speaks, oh my goodness, when the king speaks, when God says something, the devil's been lying to you for years. All you've heard was how bad you were, how you weren't good enough, you're not holy enough, you're not righteous enough, you're not rich enough, you're not this, you're not that. But then came a now and a when and a then, and the king began to speak. Then David said, Mephibosheth, I'm here to tell you this morning that God calls each of you by name. And when you hear his name, you need to perk up and say, Lord, here I am. Forget about your unworthiness. Forget about your sin. Forget about your shame. When the king calls your name, he already knows all that about you. Saul, I'm going to see, I'm sorry, David already knew that Mephibosheth was crippled in his feet and still wanted him presented to him. David already knew that Mephibosheth lived in Lodabar but still wanted him to come to his feet because he had a word to release over the life of Mephibosheth. He had come from a place of no word, a place of hurt, a place of shame. He's living with someone and he doesn't have anything of his own. But here comes the reviver, the king. And he answered, here is your servant. I wonder how we should answer God this morning when he speaks to us. He's not a genie in the bottle. He doesn't bless unrighteousness. 
You can't live in sin and expect the blessings of God to come to your home. If you want to see the blessings of God in your life, there is only one way that you must refer to yourself as it relates to him. Here am I, your servant. I am your servant. He did not try to pull rank. He didn't say, I am, I am a prince. He, I have been removed from a kingdom. He didn't tell his story. He just said, here I am. I am your servant. Because he had nothing to be proud about. He was crippled. He was poor. He was broken. He came from a place with no word. So he said, let me just present myself as a servant. Verse 7. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness. Can you say surely? surely? David knew a little bit about the word surely because of his relationship with God. In Psalms 23, we see David say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And you know you've got it good. When the goodness and mercy of God is so favorable in your life, that you can give to somebody else. That you can show them goodness, and you can show them favor, and you can show them mercy as well. So he said, do not fear. I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. So here it is, a king coming to present himself for the man's father's sake. Jesus came to earth to present himself to us for his father's sake, right? All right. I will show you kindness for your Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land. Say restoration. restoration. I will restore to you. Listen, King David didn't have to call a committee. He didn't have to call the auditor's office. And say, like, whose land is that now? Where's the property line? None of that mattered. So God doesn't care. I mean, banks care about your credit scores. I'm not saying run up your credit and have bad credit. I'm not saying all that, okay? But I'm trying to tell you that it, when you are trying, here's the key. When you are faithfully, faithfully trying to reestablish your credit, okay? Because God says, oh, no man anything except to love him. All right. When you are faithfully serving God, when you are faithfully giving to God and, and being obedient to his commands, his favor will cause your credit score to not matter as much when you go to get what he has promised you. Because God's promises are not based on credit scores. God's promises are based on his word. And if he says he's going to bless you, then he will bless you in the midst of it. My personal testimony is that my credit score was not where I desired it to be. So I started faithfully doing what was right. The lady at the bank had been in the mortgage industry over 20 years. And she told me this, Mr. Tibbs, I have never in my life seen somebody credit jump that high so fast. Thank you for the wonderful audience. Yeah. Praise God. It can be your testimony too. I don't know why you're mad at me. Don't be hating on me. It, it can be your testimony too. But what I'm trying to tell you is that when the king says something, nothing else in the land matters. There's nobody that can oppose it. Nobody stood up and said, well, well, wait a minute, David, don't you know who this is? You can't do that for him, or that land belongs to Joe. None of that mattered at all, okay? He said this, 
I will restore to you all the land of Saul and your grandfather. Do you not realize that that's an entire kingdom? That's an entire kingdom. That's not just a home. I'm going to give you your dad's old house back. No, the entire kingdom, all of it. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. So Mephibosheth went from living with someone, not having his own table, to be invited to eat at the king's table himself. Okay? Verse 8, then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Remember, Mephibosheth's name meant mouth of shame. He was full of shame about his condition, about his physical condition, financial, all of that. All right? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your, see, he's, he's making it official, okay? So listen. Usually, God tells you before them. Do you hear what I'm saying? Before the bank said, Mr. Tip, you've been approved for the loan, God told me already. Do you hear what I'm saying? God tells you. He reveals his promises to you first. Then everybody else has to catch up and get on board. So David told Mephibosheth what he was about to do. Then he called someone over that could make it happen. Someone in the, someone in the natural realm, okay? Saul's servant said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. When? Always. Remember I told you, there's a then, and then there's a new when. The new when is always. When the king restores you, when revival comes to your house, it's just not visiting. Revival doesn't just visit. So that's the new revelation that God has given me about revival. Churches are always saying, oh, we need a revival. We need a revival. Revival, come back. Revival just doesn't visit. Revival is supposed to remain. Revival is supposed to stay. You're supposed to stay in a good place. Stay at the king's table. The reason that revival is needed is not because the king left. It's because we left. The reason saints dry up is because they leave the presence of God. They stop doing what it takes to have that fellowship with God. And they are in need of a revival. But when revival comes, it comes to say, okay? Now, now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. So when I'm at the bank and God has told me that I'm, he's going to bless me with a home, and not only did he bless me with a home, he said, I'm going to fill it with good things. And he did that too. Because you gotta, you gotta be a servant. You gotta be in the right place at the right time. You gotta show yourself faithful to God. And then he can whisper over to you and he can see your faithfulness. He says, he says this, he says this. Those who are faithful over a few things 
God will make them ruler over many. Amen? So as we are faithful to do the small things that God has commanded, he will also lead us into the goodness as well. So Mephibosheth here had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So now we talked about his bondage, and we talked about the freedom that came to his house, and now we're going to go into our own bondage and the freedom that our king has brought us. Please go to 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. So the bondage that we can be under and the reason that we are in need of revival is because sin has entered the camp. Sin has come in. And, so, and, and usually with Christians, it's not the sin of commission, but the sin of omission. It's not that you're out robbing banks or cussing people out or doing all kinds of evil and wickedness. It's not that you're committing sins. It's not that you're doing acts of sins. But the Bible says this. Those who know to do what is right and do it not, it is sin to them. So that's the sin of church folks, church people. Not so much out there willfully committing evil, but failing to do good. Catch that. Catch that. Because a religious spirit will make you feel like, I'm, 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 at least I'm not doing this, and at least I'm not doing that. And at least I'm not doing this. That's what a religious spirit will, will self-justify. Make you think that you're okay because you, you see in your own eyes, you're justifying yourself. But the reason we need revival is because we need to ask God and say, God, and you've got to be willing to do this, God, am I failing to obey you in all things? Are there some failures? Am I, am I failing to pray, as your word says? Am I failing to study your word? Am I failing to be a disciple maker? Am I failing to do any of the things that you've asked me to do? Am I still under the bondage of sin in some areas of my life? And the reason we got to get free from sin is to get free from death. Revival, right? Revival means life is present. Revival means that you are alive. So in order for Christian people to be revived, we need to get rid of whatever is killing us. And the thing that is killing us is disobedience. Okay? 1 John 3, 4 through 10. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law. For all sin. So that means the, the sin of commission and also the sin of omission. All sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins. And there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. You see how quiet it got when I talked about sin? Listen to me. There's many churches out there that are full because they never talk about sin. But when you talk about sin, there's a part of us, that carnal side, that doesn't want to give it up, it'll fight it. But don't you fight this word. This word is for the saving of your souls. Our sin must go. If we want revival, we've got to get rid of what's killing us. Verse 7, dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. 
But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. Listen to me. You'll hear people say, I'm a Christian, but I'm still, I still uh, dabble in this and dabble in that because God knows I'm not perfect. Ooh, yeah. He knows you're not perfect, but let's look at what the Word says and what He calls you, okay? This is what He calls you if you keep on sinning. Let's look at, this is the Word of God. That's why we need to study and read it for ourselves. This is what the Word says. Don't be mad at Pastor Damien. This is what the Word says. When people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. Can you say freedom? Freedom. If we, this is good, if we want freedom from sin, we must acquire freedom from the devil. And the one that brings us freedom from the devil is the same one that brought freedom to, uh, freedom to Mephibosheth, a king. A king that came to conquer. A king that came to separate us from sin and death. Verse 9. I'm sorry, we can't miss this. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Say this with me. God, I thank you that your Son has come to destroy the works of the devil that are present in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Freedom is available. And freedom has a name. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is the one that brings us freedom. You do not have the power to stop sinning all by yourself. If we had the power to stop sinning by ourselves, then there would be no need to hang Jesus on a cross because we would be sinless. But Jesus came to free us from our sins. Verse 9. Those who have been born into God's family, this is the Bible talking, this is God saying this, okay? Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. Why? Because God's life is in them. Can you say revival? That's what revival is all about. Having the life of God on the inside of you. You need to be separated from you trying to be righteous all on your own. That's when you need a revival. When you begin to say, I got this. I can do this. I can be a Christian. I'm strong. I, I can say no to this. I can say no to that. No, you can't. The power of the enemy is way too strong for you. That's why you need a revival. That's why you need the spirit of the Lord living on the inside of you. His spirit was holy. His spirit was perfect. He did not commit any sins at all. So the Bible says that if we, who have been born into God's family, we do not make a practice of sinning. Why? Because God's life is in us. So they can't keep on sinning. Why? Because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Can you say revival? This is why we need revival. We need revival so that we can be made free from sin. King Jesus came to restore our freedom to 
revive us. That's what he has come to do. He gave us the gift of his Holy Spirit so that he can lead us and guide us into all truth. Without the Holy Spirit, Damien is a sinful man. Doesn't matter if my, my name's on a sign out there. Absent from the Holy Spirit inside of me, I will fall down. I will crave the flesh. And that is why we have to go through a personal revival. And Jesus says, if you desire to follow me, you must go through a revival. You must pick up your cross and deny yourself. You must uh, uh, adopt this instrument of death and say, I cannot obey your commandments if you won't help me, God. And we receive freedom as we die to ourselves and become alive in Christ. Please stand to your feet this morning. We are either sinners or we are righteous. We are either children of the devil or children of God. If we, now listen, listen to this, listen very closely. Children of God will sin on occasion. Children of the devil sin all the time. They make a habit of sin. They sin continually. Uh, verse 8 says, but when people keep on sinning, all right, so none of us are perfect. We will fall down. We will commit a sin or two on occasion, maybe even daily. I don't know. But you repent, and you don't make a practice of it. You don't find yourself committing the same sin over and over again, or that is bondage. And Jesus Christ is the bondage breaker. But you've got to throw yourself at his feet and say, Father, I surrender of my life. I surrender of this lifestyle. Even uh, Paul said it best. He said, who will deliver me from this body of sin? The things that I want to do, the, those things I don't do, but the things I don't want to do, I always find myself doing them. Who can help me? Who will free me? From this body of sin. And he said, thanks be to God. Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the one that is able to free us from sin. I'm not finished with this message. Maybe next Sunday we'll continue. Or maybe even Wednesday night during Bible study. We'll keep that going. And that's at 6.30 this Wednesday. But what he wants us to know today is that freedom has come. We're not waiting for the Messiah. I mean, we're waiting for him to return. We're not waiting for him to come the first time. He already did that. So we're trusting that everything that this word tells us today is true and it is covenant. And that's, that's one thing I do have to read to you. I do have to read to you very quickly what the new covenant is. And the new covenant, all right, because we, we, we heard what, what Mephibosheth's new covenant was. You're going to have servants. You're going to have all the land restored. You're going to eat at my table continually. So what's the new covenant that God has for us? And this is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15, and it says this. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins 
and lawless deeds. I'll never remember them again. This is covenant. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Let's bow our hands. Father, we thank you for the new covenant. We thank you that the law, God, has been nailed to a tree. That Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. So now, we don't have to. We receive righteousness now through our faith in what Jesus did for us. Righteousness is a gift. Yes, the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life for all those who believe on Jesus Christ. So Lord, I thank you for the new wind. I thank you, God, that these people who you call your sons and daughters are going to get, make a habit of getting in your word and introducing new winds into their life. As they study the Bible, they will begin to see the promises that you have made to your people. Father, you reminded me that during worship time, when Pastor Jim said, let's just be quiet for a moment and just worship the Lord in our own way, some people get nervous about those moments of silence because they don't know how to worship God. But if you just go to Psalms and start reading the Psalms, that will teach you how to worship. It'll show you how David magnified the Lord. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So that's the homework today for the worshipers that gather here. By next Sunday, I want you to get in the book of Psalms and write down some of the ways that David magnified the Lord. Some of the things that he said in worship. And I want you to adopt them. And when you come back next Sunday, you'll have a new way to worship God for yourself. And this will develop for you your own way of worship. David will help you enter, but you'll take over from there. So, Father, we thank you for this word and the freedom that you've given us, the liberty that we have from the works of Satan, the life that we have now in Christ is ours. We thank you for the new decree that you have sent your word and healed your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's anyone here today who does not know Jesus Christ as 